This is a Triple J podcast. Just riding a lot of fences. to take Sam Kerr and the Matildas where they've never been before. No Australian team, male or female, has ever reached a World Cup semi-final. That's right. The whole country has been Tilly's pilled. In a couple of hours, the Matildas will face off against England in the Women's World Cup semi-finals. Hello, Joe Lauder with you for Hack tonight for this historic moment. The first time Australia has been through to the semis of a FIFA World Cup final. It's created such a moment around the whole countries. Everyone at the moment is piling into their friends' lounge rooms or heading to the pub or even to one of the live outdoor venues to watch the game. And I want to know, are you going to be doing any weird little rituals or superstitions that you think are going to bring the Matildas good luck and help them win tonight? Get ready to call in on 1300-0555-36. Let me know about your sporting superstitions or rituals. First, hack reporter and diehard Matildas fan, Miles Holbrook, walks with me. Miles, you're our resident Tilly's correspondent. You're already out at Stadium Australia in Sydney. What can you see around you? Okay, the vibes are building. There is a sea of gold and green. The odd little speckle and flake of a white shirt of the lionesses. There are a few English fans in town, but largely already thousands of people I can just see around me. There's a little bit of a pre-game atmosphere in of itself building here that is just, there's nerves, there's a little bit of excitement, and I think everyone knows they're in for something huge tonight. Miles, the whole country has gone absolutely Tilly's mad. I mean, like, I'm even in the studio at the moment wearing gold. Did you expect to see this craze sweep the nation even a couple of months ago? Would you have expected this? I think I always did believe this was going to be huge and big, but then it went to, it's like huge, huge, you know what I mean? It's gone to that next level where no one really could have believed, I think, that we were going to have the most watched sporting event in 20 years on our TVs when the Matildas played on Saturday against France. And I certainly didn't think that we'd see all the smaller games that didn't involve Australia, heaps of them sold out. Games that were being played in the middle of the day on work days were also being packed out with thousands of people still managing to get to the ground. So that part of it, I did not see coming. Oh, my God, you're giving me goosebumps talking about the biggest sporting event in 20 years. Now, you've been out chatting to heaps of fans around Sydney who who have gone there for the game. How are people feeling ahead of tonight? I think it's fair to say there's a collective anxiety, but we kind of feel a little bit better that we're all sharing it. There's also a sense of occasion as well about the pride in which this team we've just all fallen in love with, as you say. And that's certainly something that people were sharing all over Sydney City today. Hack. I've been uh, following the Matildas for a while, I've been watching their friendly games and stuff, and so it's been really good to see the entire country supporting them. I can't help but be in a situation where well, I was there first, so... Probably quite new to it, like probably a lot of Australia, you know, kind of got uh, captivated by it. Uh, didn't even know the World Cup was actually coming until probably about a month ago, um, but since then been on the hype train, so uh, it's been pretty cool. I'm working at the bar. <laughs> yeah, so, so you were able to, like, to sneak away a bit yeah. to watch the game. How does it work? I have been, yeah, I've been going on toilet breaks um, and just been sneaking into the crowd. I got escorted by security last week because they saw that I had my security from like being a staff member pass on, but then I just ran away into another part of the crowd. So yeah, I've been loving it. (laughs) 
we did the World Cup in 2019, and so when we knew where it was for 2023, we said, we're going. We do want, you know, Australia to win, and, and so we can watch them again. And the host country wins. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's just awesome. That would be very cool. On Triple Jack. Miles, there's obviously lots of new fans as well to the Matildas because of this World Cup campaign. But you also met some pretty diehard fans, I will say, out there today. I did. These two women, Chelsea and Bridget, I think take the cake for the biggest fans I've ever met. One of them, Bridget, she was actually pretty new to Matilda's, or Matilda's fandom, I should say, as only being two years, so she thought that wasn't <laughs> enough. But just hear their story about how deeply entrenched they've gotten into the Tillies. You guys are long-time Tillies fans. You've been managing to get tickets to the Sammy, to the final, to the quarter as well. Tell me a bit about this journey. What's it been like? And even as well, how it all started for yourselves getting into football originally. I started watching as in hospital when the Olympics were on, so I had nothing better to do. We are in a lockdown, so I just started watching the Olympics and then it was downhill from there. Um, but she's been like a huge Chili's fan for ages, so then when the World Cup, like, we decided we were going to go. We just kind of banded together with another mate, got tickets. Like, we got the stadium passes. Here we are. I thought about going to the World Cup four years ago, but then I got a new job just when tickets went on sale and I was like, oh, I can't really leave this new job now. So when they said it was going to be in Australia, I was like, wow, this is really, it's really happening now. How big a vindication has it been then to see the way the nation has gotten into football, I guess, then for, for you all? It's absolutely wild. Like seeing people that don't watch sport, like posting it all over their Instagrams and like going to bars and watching them play. Like it's so weird. Whereas like I've always been the person that's like, oh, let's go to the Matildas. And they're like, oh, okay, are they playing today? And now everyone knows yeah. that they're playing today. It's so weird. Did you conceive it would get this big, like no, four and a half no. million watching? Never. No, not no. even like we came down for the opening match and we were like, oh, like at the end, we'll get a home jersey. And now like we had to go buy it today because they're selling out. Like, Yeah, like that's wild. Oh. My like, mum has been asking to wear my jerseys to work because, like, she feels yeah. like a celebrity when she's at work, when she wears, like, an old jersey and all the kids are like, oh, that's an old jersey. And, like, how did we get here? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I got a Steph Catley tattoo. <laughs> we got to see it. we got to get this up here. Okay, so down on your... It's from the pen that she took against Ireland. In my handwriting. <laughs> and uh, just looking at this, so this tattoo, it looks like a stick and poke, is yeah. it? Yeah, oh, it's like a um, single needle, like, fine line thing. Okay, I think I've just met the two biggest Matildas fans <laughs> in Sydney City right now. You mentioned as well there's something else going on with that tattoo in particular. It's got a, a number written next to it that's very special. What's the meaning behind it? Um, it's the minute she scored the winning penalty against Ireland. Her first World Cup goal. We didn't think it would happen yeah, again. I made, I like, we were on the way in and I was like, oh, if Steph Catley scores a goal this tournament, I'll get a tattoo, not thinking it would happen. And... It happened. The first she game. She in two games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When she scored the second time, I was like, I don't think I can get a second one. One is enough. Is there another plan for a tattoo for either of you to commemorate the what would it mean to be world champions? <laughs> I've said if they win, I'll get this team tattooed because that's what they always post on their Instagram photos whenever they win. It's like this team with like a green and gold heart. So I said I'll just get this team tattooed somewhere. Okay, Miles, I've got you on, live on national radio. If they win, if they win the World Cup, will you get a Matilda's tattoo? 
100%. Yes. 100%. And I'll put it on our socials and everyone can see to show that I'm no lie. If the Matildas win this World Cup, I will get a tattoo. Oh my God, you heard it here on Hack. Miles is getting a tattoo if they win. All right, Miles, stick around because we're going to come back to you a bit later in the show. We're going to get some pre-match analysis about what we can expect tonight. Excellent. Speak soon, Joe. Hack. My favourite pre-game ritual would be having my oats three hours before, so at the pre-match meal. On Triple J. Yes, you're listening to Hack for this very special Tilly's Matilda's pre-game show. Now, special game day breakfasts or lucky underpants, a lot of routines that involve socks, apparently. Do you have any rituals or weird superstitions that you do because you think they're going to help your team win. Maybe you've been doing it today to help the Matildas win. Let me know what your pre-game superstitions or rituals are. Call in now on 1300-0555-36 or you can also text in and tell me on 0439-757555. Honestly, the weirder the better. I want to hear them. You might even have a superstition as well if you play sport. I'm also interested in hearing about that one. In a moment, we're going to speak to a sports psychologist about why we do these weird little rituals. But first, here's April McClendon with some more of the rituals. I was having dinner with Nan last night and we were just chatting and I said how I wanted to watch the Matildas game, but I'm scared I'll make them lose by watching because I haven't watched a single game yet and I'm worried I'll jinx them by watching a game now and it will totally ruin their winning streak. And Nan said she watches the game on mute because the commentators bring bad luck. And at first I thought, whoa, my family is just a little bit wacky. But I've been asking around and turns out we all have some wackadoodle superstitions and pre-game rituals. I've been at my local pub for every Matilda's win wearing the exact same outfit and I haven't washed it once because I don't want to wash the good luck out of it. I used to eat seven bananas before playing a hockey game. If I didn't, I thought I was going to lose. Nobody is allowed to move off where they're seated to go to the bathroom, to go and grab a drink, everyone has to stay where they are. It's the lucky seats and everyone stays there until we get the win. Every week before any match, I have to listen to Eye of the Tiger by Survivor on full blast in the car. Um, it's like a little good luck charm. I'd eat a bacon and egg burger before every baseball game. I used to wear certain socks underneath my soccer socks before a game. Growing up, my dad was very religious about State of Origin, so we have pies and hot dogs for dinner. Only pies and hot dogs. Um, If you don't eat before 7pm, then that's bad luck because the preview starts at 7, so you have to be in there watching the preview. Obviously a Queenslander, so not a lick of blue can be on me throughout the day. It has to be all maroon. I always put my left basketball boot on first when I'm about to play a game of basketball. I was watching the Matildas game on Sunday night against France and I found myself having to sit in like a very specific position during the penalty shootouts. Like all of my body had to be at like a 90 degree angle, like feet firmly on the floor, back up straight and hands on my knees. Otherwise we would miss the shot or something. Hack on Triple J. April McLennan there. And April, I think you can watch the Matildas tonight and you won't jinx them. You should absolutely watch the game. But honestly, seven bananas as a pregame ritual is kind of like creeping me out a little bit. 
Now, if you've got any weird rituals or superstitions, call in now on 1300-0555-36 or you can text them in on 0439-757555. Now, I've got Dr. Kei Sotsuka with me. He's an adjunct fellow in psychology at Victoria University and he's also a researcher at the health at the Institute for Health and Sport. Kei, thank you so much for coming on Hack. Thank you for having me. You've been studying superstitions for a long time. Just to start with, what is the weirdest superstition that you've heard of? Oh, that's a very hard question. And um, um, some of the baseball players um, do have some really weird uh, superstitions, such as eating only the chicken on the day of the game, or to chew licorice and to brush teeth between the innings. Um, Maybe this is something to do with the personality of the player as well. Okay, that one's a weird one. (laughs) What is the textbook definition of a superstition? Um, Superstition is some kind of beliefs that really does not do have any effect on um, outcome of the events, as I can see. Yeah, Um, any any beliefs that is really not real. (laughs) So when we have certain superstitions or rituals that we do, especially as spectators as fans. What is going on from an evolutionary perspective? Why would we have some of these rituals or superstitions? I think there are uh, some purposes behind. Uh, One of them, of course, the superstitions comes in um, when you lose your primary control. You do not have a control in this situation. And then you try to to make belief uh, that um, continues to believe that what you do is going to change the situation. That's one of the things. And another purpose for this superstition may be to reduce anxiety so that you can focus on the task. I was going to ask, does it help with nerves around the unpredictability? If we if we do the same thing every time, it might help us recenter or calm our nerves? Well, if it calms your nerve, I think it may enhance the, you know, the your performance in, in a certain way. I think athletes will have um, lots of superstitions or rituals, which is required before they're going to serve ball and game of tennis, etc. I was going to say Rafael Nadal. I think a lot of people know his kind of ritual, his tick before he's serving. Serena Williams also, I think, bounces the ball five times. It seems like players definitely have them. I guess it's a bit different for players as well compared to spectators because they can actually affect the outcome of the game by doing or not doing their ritual, right, as opposed to me doing mine on the couch. Yeah, anthropologists found out that the less you have direct control, the more likely that you believe in some kind of superstitious beliefs. So therefore, for the spectator, oh, in our head, we understand that whatever we do is not going to change anything about the outcome of the game itself, but we can't help doing that because that made help. And we regret if we don't stick to some of those <laughs> rituals or superstitions and if the outcome of the game is really, really negative and then, you know, you should have done it. <laughs> what I found interesting is people talk about a changing position, sitting in the same position in the lounge, etc. I think it's something to do with these, our desire to either to maintain a good momentum or to change the situation if they are not winning. But um, there's not much of a uh, systematic research done, so I can only talk about uh, anecdotal evidence. But I'm pretty sure that there are lots of friends talking about um, drinking and 
same kind of well it shouldn't be advertising the <laughs> alcohol beverage but um, drinking the same type of beer or changing it or to asking some you know uh family members to leave the room because they bring bad luck etc right so if things are going well you don't want to change what you're doing so that's one kind of superstition as opposed to changing things up and engaging in another superstition to force some kind of change in the game yes i th- i think it's very common uh among the spectators to try to stick to the same thing if you really want to have the good things going versus if you are desperate and it's things are not turning out well and they try to somehow change it by changing your habit. Our colleague Miles was saying that he had a superstition when um, the opposing team was going for a goal that he wouldn't look and he would say that they're going to lose over and over. The first time he did it, they didn't get the goal. So now he feels like he has to do it, even though surely like he's not affecting the outcome. But it's funny that because it worked the first time, that's kind of reinforced the cycle. Definitely, you you will build a correlation between the single event or the couple of things that happened and the outcome, yes. Are there often different religious or cultural associations with some of these rituals? Some of the, the, the explanatory framework may be um, specific to the particular culture. So the in case of gambling uh, superstitions that I studied, um, East Asians, um, gamblers tend to bring in the notion of a karma, which is, um, you know, to do the, the, the good things to others and you will be rewarded. But sometimes you, they believe in ancestral spirit is looking over uh, to making sure they are going to win the bet. I was thinking as well, um, the haka, you know, the Māori dance that now a lot of New Zealand players do, that, that's become a cultural tradition, but that would have been, a, it was a ritual that was adopted to sport as well. I think that is more of a representing the, the New Zealand as a nation and the Māori culture to, to pay respect. But um, could it be the case that that may be, um, you know, some people may have an association that are doing that really sort of enhances their ability to win the game. You mentioned that your a lot of your research focus on superstitions and gamblers. Why gambling in particular? Is there a stronger association between gamblers having superstitions? Because the outcome of gambling, our games are rigged in a way that that is um, completely ran- random. So whatever you do uh, is not going to have a direct the effect to um, to make you win. So therefore, you are more likely to entertain a lots of dif- different convoluted um, superstition. Just lastly, Case, do you have any rituals or superstitions that you're going to be doing tonight ahead of the Matildas? Well, I'm not sure. I get really nervous if, you, if I get really into the game, but um, I'm trying not to think about superstition because that may affect the outcome of Matilda winning the game. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hopefully they do. I've got my fingers crossed, which is probably a superstition as well, right? Yes, definitely. Dr. K, thank you so much for coming on Hack and chatting about this. It's been fascinating. Thank you very much. My pleasure. That's Dr. K. Sotsuka and he's a sports psychologist at Victoria Uni. Now I've got TJ from Sydney with me. TJ, you have a superstition around playing, is that right? Hey, yes, I do. Um, You guys can hear me all right? Yeah, yeah. So tell me about your superstition. Um, so I, I play soccer, massive Tillys fan, oh, go Tillys. Um, but, um, every single game, like I have to, 
I can I, like when we win, I can never wash the uniform that I wear. So uh-huh. that way, then we're guaranteed to win the next um, <laughs> the next game. I love that you've got um, like your lucky so, sweat on it. <laughs> Yeah, so I go several weeks where I haven't. It's it's so gross. I'm sorry, but, it's but yeah, I will have several seasons where I can't. I can wash my shorts. That's okay. <laughs> um, I've learnt that. But my socks, my shin pads, and my jersey, I can't. I can't wash. Oh, well, um, thank you. Thanks for letting us know. I really love that one. Thanks so much, TJ. <laughs> and good luck. That's I hope okay. I hope we win tonight. Thanks. That was TJ yeah. in Sydney. So many people on the text line. Someone says, I say miss out loud when an opposing team is about to kick a goal. Every time I forget to say it, they get it in. It's become part of my superstition and good luck when watching a game. Someone else says, my family are all Sydney Swan supporters and when we're watching the game from home and it's not going our way, there'll be a message around to put your socks on because we all have lucky Swan socks. And Abby says, when we're watching a game, we aren't allowed to have anything outside the centre of the table. If it touches the edge of the table, we lose. No doubt. Hack. The key discussion point, increasing housing supply and affordability. On Triple J. Yes, you're listening to Hack. I'm Joe Lauder, filling in for Dave Marchese. Now, you might think that the Matildas game is the only thing that's happening in Australia today, but there is some other important stuff going on, like the conversation about whether we're going to have a World Cup, a public holiday if we win the World Cup. Um, Seriously, though, um, all the country's leaders are together for national, got together for national cabinet today. And one of the main things that they were talking about was housing and also rental freezes. So I've got our political reporter, Shalila Midori here, and she's going to tell us what went down today. Shalila, firstly, before we get ahead, without jinxing the game by getting ahead of ourselves... Are we going to have a Matilda's national holiday if they win? Wouldn't that be so nice? (laughs) But it's not looking particularly likely, Joe. unfortunately. Despite being so, so enthusiastic about the idea, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese actually walked back from it a little bit today. He said it sits firmly in the you know, hands of the states and territories because they're the ones who decide our national holidays uh, and national public holidays, I should say. And sadly for us, the only state or territory leader who has shown any kind of interest in this is New South Wales Premier Chris Minns, who said he could consider it. Everyone else has been like, nah, sorry, we're not going to do it. Um, So sadly, it looks like you and I will be in the office (laughs) come Monday, Joe, regardless of the outcome. Oh, that's a shame. Now, the main focus for National Cabinet was around housing and this has really come from a lot of agitation from the federal Greens about housing supply and rents. Um, what did National Cabinet agree on today with that would, might potentially help with housing in Australia? What did they come up with? Yeah, so the federal government has really been focusing on supply, so this idea that there's just not enough houses to go around at the moment. And if you look at the stats, they're pretty alarming. In some parts of the country, there's less than 1% availability for rentals. So supply is the issue that the federal government has really been looking at because it's one of the things it can help with. So what they've announced today is increasing the target from 1 million new dwellings to 1.2 million new dwellings in five years. The 200,000 extra will hopefully, they say, be incentivised through this new payment. So they've set up this new kind of fund where if the states and territories go over their sort of allocated target for that 1 million houses, they'll be able to access $15,000 per new home. So the idea is it really just puts a rocket up the states and territories and says, hey, we're going to give you cash if you can actually boost this supply. There's also a new fund to get 
the states and territories and local governments as well to free up housing in so-called desirable locations. So places that are close to transport, places that are close to the city, close to amenities. And that might be through freeing up zoning laws, by increasing high density in those areas, by shaking up regulation that's stopping um, the building of houses in some of these areas. So in totality, it's looking at ways that the states and territories can really free up land so that more houses can be built. And what about for people renting? What what are the changes there? What what did they discuss? Yeah, there are a few um, things that they announced today, but I, I do want to put a caveat on it for our listeners beforehand, which is that a lot of this stuff, the states and st- territories had already been moving on. So what was announced today was really a nationalisation, a sort of like agreement between all the states and territories that they were going to work on these things. So some of the things that they've worked on is looking, um, cracking down on these sort of no-fault um, evictions. So when people get eviction notices without having you know caused anything wrong or in some cases getting eviction notices because they've asked for repairs or they've made a complaint, those sort of like vindictive nearly um, evictions. So they're cracking down on those. They're also looking at minimum standards for rentals. So they're going to say that the states and territories are going to come together and they're going to make sure that if you rent out your property, you have basic minimum things like running water, like heat and insulation, for example, like working stovetops. So they're some of the things that they, they kind of announced today. And as we said, a lot of this has come from a lot of agitation um, from the federal Greens and especially Greens Senator um, Max Chandler Mather. Sorry, not Senator MP Max Chandler Mather. And have we heard from him? What's next there? Is this going to be enough to appease them? Short answer to whether this is going to be enough to appease them is no. So the Greens have long said that one of their key elements before they pass the government's $10 billion Housing Australia Future Fund is that it wants the government to introduce rent caps. That means limiting how much landlords can increase their rent um, for renters. That didn't happen today. And here's what Greens MP Max Chandler-Mather had to say about it. All of the things that they have proposed today exist in almost every state and territory in the country already. And the bottom line is we know that rent rent increases are going to cost renters in this country $4.9 billion over the next 12 months and Labor are doing nothing about it. Zilch, nada, nothing. So what happens now, Joe, is that this Housing Australia Future Fund legislation has been kicked down the road a little bit. It's not due to come back before Parliament before October. So we still have a few months where, you know, Labor and the Greens could negotiate. Labor could also potentially negotiate with the Coalition, who have also said they're against this um, Housing Future Fund. So there are ways that potentially we could see um, that bill go across the line, but it will require a little bit of to and fro still. Yeah, definitely more to come on this. Shalila, thank you so much for updating us on that. Thanks, Joe. That's our political re- reporter, Shalila Madora. Hack. These are the games that you train all year round, you dream of. On Triple J. Yeah. I want to go back now to Hack reporter Miles Holbrook Walk. He's out at Australia Stadium where the Matildas later tonight are going to be taking on England in the semis for the FIFA Women's World Cup. It's the first time any Australian team has ever made it this far. It's super exciting. It's happening here in Australia. We're all obsessed. It's so great. But the big question is whether we can win it and whether we can go through to the finals. Miles, we're the underdogs here going into this game. What are we up, up against with the English team? 
It's loud and chaotic here, and that's kind of how the Lionesses will line up and attack. They come forward with scintillating players like Alessio Russo and Lauren Hemp. They are missing their star forward and attacking midfielder Lauren James. She stopped on a Nigerian player in the knockout stages early on in this tournament, so she won't be featuring tonight. But the Lionesses have been able to score plenty of goals nonetheless, and they've also got a pretty sharp defence. The good news is for Australia is that they've got a sharp defence too, and we've only lost that one game to Nigeria in the group stage, and since then haven't really looked back. So it looks like even though we are the underdogs, we're building up nicely to take on what are the European champions in England. Yeah, and we also beat them in a friendly earlier this year, right? That's exactly right. So the Lionesses in their last 40 games have only lost one. And you bang on that it was to Australia. Sam Kerr scored. Perhaps that's an omen for tonight. In fact, I'm backing her to do something incredible and to send us into the World Cup final for the very first time. Okay, so you can get that tattoo. Now, what do you think is going to be the biggest challenge for the Matildas in this game? Look, the challenge, I think, will be the fatigue of the last match, not just physically having played for 120 minutes, but also the emotional toll of going through such a high-pressure and intensity match and trying to back it up, reset again with such a short turnaround. It was only a few days from their last match, so that will be a, a major challenge. I think the team knows, and Tony Gustafsson has said it many times, the coach of the Matildas, if the Matildas can play at their best, they can match it with anyone in the world. We know that they can beat England because they've done it before. It'll be about being able to produce that here under immense pressure, but they'll have a lot of help with more than 75,000 coming through the door tonight, Joe. Just lastly, Miles, we're about to go to the news, but any predictions for tonight besides Sam Kerr coming through with the goal? Sam Kerr scores. We do it. Uh, 2-1 Australia. Get your ticket for the Miltilda's final if you can. <laughs> All right, there you go. There you have it. That was Miles Holbrook-Walk live from Stadium Australia. That's all we've got time for on Hack tonight. Up the Tillies. I'll catch you tomorrow. Bye. Hack on Triple Jack.